Welcome to the Subin show. In this podcast, I try to dissect spectacular concepts and bring it across to you. The human race throughout its long history has always tried to uncover the meaning or essence of certain ideas or concepts according to their particular frames of reference. This is also true of the 20th century. But man is traveling so fast and his frame of reference is becoming so large that it is almost impossible to keep up with it. Throughout history, persons have attempted to redefine and put dated definitions to current prevalent questions. This also has become increasingly difficult in this age of massive technological discoveries coupled with a perpetual information and propaganda bombardment by the media. So anybody's part to redefine anarchy in terms of the 20th century would be a pointless task. Such a pastime is best left to the politicians when ideas have sex adam ferguson in an essay on the history of civil society has written in other classes of animals the individual advances from infancy to age or maturity and he attains in the compass of a single life to all the perfection his nature can reach but in the human kind the species has a progress as well as the individual they build in every subsequent age on foundations formerly laid if you consider a stone weapon or a stone age axe and a current mouse which are relatively the same size and shape both are designed to fit the human hand to obey the constraints of being used by human beings but they are vastly different one is a complex confection of many substances with intricate internal design reflecting multiple strands of knowledge the other is a single substance reflecting the skill of a single individual the difference between them shows that the human experience of today is vastly different from the human experience of half a million years ago it is all about the rapid continuous and incessant change that human society experiences in a way that no other animal does to a biologist this is something that needs explaining what is it about human beings that enables them to keep changing their lives in this tumultuous way it is not as if human nature changes just as the hand that held the hand axe was the same shape as the hand that holds the mouse so people always have and always will seek food desire sex care for offsprings compete for status and avoid pain just like any other animal many of the idiosyncrasies of the human species are unchanging too you can travel to the farthest corner of the earth and still expect to encounter singing smiling speech sexual jealousy and a sense of humor none of which you would find to be the same in a chimpanzee you could travel back in time and emphasize easily with the motives of shakespeare homer confucius and the buddha if i could meet the man who painted exquisite images of rhinos on the wall of the chouette cave in southern france 32000 years ago i have no doubt that i would find him fully human in every psychological way there is a great deal of human life that does not change yet to say that life is the same as it was 32000 years ago would be absurd in that time my species has multiplied by 100000% from perhaps 3 million to nearly 7 billion people it has given itself self comforts and luxuries to a level that no other species can even imagine it has colonized every habitable corner of the planet and explored almost every unthinkable every uninhabitable one it has altered the appearance the genetics and the chemistry of the world and pinched perhaps 23% of the productivity of all land plants for its own purpose it has surrounded itself with particular non-random arrangements of atoms 
called technologies which it invents reinvents and discards almost continuously this is not true for other creatures not even brainy ones like chimpanzee bottlenose dolphins parrots and octopi they may occasionally use tools that may occasionally shift their ecological niche but they do not raise their standards of living or experience economic growth they do not encounter poverty either they do not progress from one mode of living to another nor do they deplore doing so they do not experience agricultural urban commercial industrial and informational revolutions let alone renaissance reformations depressions demographic transitions civil wars cold wars culture wars and credit crunches i am surrounded by things telephones books computers photographs paper clips coffee mugs that no monkey has ever come close to making i am spilling digital information onto a screen in a way that no dolphin has ever managed i am aware of abstract concepts the date the weather forecast the second law of thermodynamics that no parrot could begin to grasp i am definitely different what is it that makes me so different it cannot just be that i have a bigger brain than other animals after all late neanderthals had an average bigger brains than i do yet do not experience this headlong cultural change moreover big though my brain may be compared with another animal species i have barely the foggiest inkling how to make coffee cups and paper clips let alone weather forecasts the psychologist daniel gilbert likes to joke that every member of his profession lives under the obligation at some time in his career to complete a sentence which begins the human being is the only animal that language cognitive reasoning fire cooking tool making self awareness deception imitation art religion opposable thumbs throwing weapons upright stance grandparental care the list of features suggesting as unique to human beings is long indeed but then the list of features unique to artworks or barefaced go away birds is also fairly long all of these features are indeed uniquely human and are indeed very helpful in enabling modern life but i will content that with the possible exception of language none of them arrived at the right time or had the right impact in human history to explain the sudden change from a merely successful ape man to an ever expanding progressive modernizer most of them came much too early in the story and had no such ecological effect having sufficient consciousness to want to paint your body or to reason the answer to a problem is nice but it does not lead to ecological world conquest clearly big brains and language may be necessary for human beings to cope with a life of technological modernity clearly human beings are very good at social learning indeed compared with even chimpanzees humans are almost obsessively interested in faithful imitation but big brains and limitations and language are not themselves the explanation of prosperity and progress and poverty they do not themselves deliver a changing standard of living neanderthals had all these huge brains probably complex languages lot of technology but they never burst out of their niche it is my contention that in looking inside our heads we would be looking in the wrong place to explain the extraordinary capacity for change in the species it is not something that happened within a brain it was something that happened between brains it was a collective phenomenon look again at the hand axe and the mouse they are both man made but one was made by a single person 
the other by hundreds of people maybe even millions that is what i mean by collective intelligence no single person knows how to make a computer mouse the person who assembled it in the factory did not know how to drill the oil well from which the plastic came or vice versa at some point human intelligence became collective and cumulative in a way that happened to no other animals in my last two podcast i gave a reference of a concept called web 3.0 a few of my listeners had asked me about it so i thought i'll elaborate a little bit there are three waves of the internet the first wave spanned from 1985 to 1999 this was called as the building the internet laying the foundation for an online world then came the second wave which spanned from the year 2000 to 2015 this wave was all about app economy and mobile revolution which had search social and e-commerce startups grow on top of the internet now the third wave actually started from 2016 it's known as the internet of everything it's a ubiquitous collectivity that allows entrepreneurs to transform major real world sectors it might seem that the lessons from the first wave of the internet are ancient outdated of little use to the contemporary entrepreneur but that misunderstands what is old about the story it is true of course that technology has made tremendous strides since those early days when we had to get online with rudimentary apple 2 computers via maddingly slow 300 baud modems and yet even with the most modern technology the entrepreneurs of the third wave will spend a great deal of time focused on things other than tech they will need a strategy just as we did to build an internet infrastructure in skeptical industries with powerful gatekeepers where we worked to make connections to the internet itself they will work on connecting the internet to everything else and is critical ways their experience is going to be more analogous to the first wave than to the second wave during the second wave the surge in internet usage coupled with the rapid adoption of smartphones led to an explosion in social media and the creation of a thriving app economy some of the most successful companies such as snapchat and twitter started with small engineering teams and became overnight sensations requiring none of the partnerships and perseverance that had come to define the previous era but there are signs that this model is now peaking that a new wave is about to break and there is growing evidence that this new period will look quite different from the second wave and quite similar to the first wave the third wave of the internet will be defined not by the internet of things it will be defined by the internet of everything we are entering a new phase of technological revolution a phase where the internet will be fully integrated into every part of our lives how we learn how we heal how we manage our finances how we get around how we work even what we eat as a third wave gains momentum every industry leader in every economic sector is at risk of being disrupted think about what's been happening in silicon valley over the past few decades imagine what it will look like when we apply the same culture of innovation and scope of ambition to every part of our economy that's the third wave and it's not just coming it's here so to give you a better understanding about the future of the internet which involves bitcoin in cryptocurrencies blockchain nfts etc etc i would like to mention a name that you definitely need to remember the name is balaji s srinivasan i was just blown away by some of the podcasts that i've listened in which mr balaji was a guest well recently he did a podcast at the tim ferris show which went on for about 5 hours i was really really blown away by the patience tim ferris showed but it was absolutely interesting and i couldn't move when 
when I was listening to that podcast. To give an introduction about uh, Mr. Balaji, he is an angel investor and entrepreneur, formerly the CTO of Coinbase and general partner at Anderson Howards. He was also the co-founder of Earn.com, acquired by Coinbase, Council, acquired by Myriad, Teleport, acquired by Topia, and Coin Center. He was named to the MIT Technology Reviews Innovators Under 35 and won a Wall Street Journal Innovation Award and holds a BS, MS, PhD in Electrical Engineering and an MS in Chemical Engineering, all from Stanford University. Balaji also teaches the occasional class at Stanford, including an online MOOC in 2013, which reached 250,000 students worldwide. To learn more about Balaji's most recent projects, sign up at 1729.com, a newsletter that pays you. They are giving out 1,000 US dollars worth bitcoins each and every day for completing tasks and tutorials. Subscribers also receive chapters from Balaji's new free book, The Network State. I was so impressed by Balaji and he has so much material in the internet. He's very active in Twitter. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffet's right-hand man, made news recently when he blasted cryptocurrency at Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting. Of course, I hate the Bitcoin success, he said. I think I should say modestly that the whole damn development is disguising and contrary to the interest of civilization. Mr. Munger's stake in the old civilizational order is matched by our determination to build a new one. Part of that new order involves proper respect for our elders. So let's give the masters, Munger and Buffett, their due. They are among the greatest investors of all time. Mr. Munger is right about what he knows. But he is wrong about Bitcoin. This is not simple because the Berkshire principals aren't expert in technology by their own admission or because they are a bit set in their ways. Who would expect otherwise of a 90 and 97 year old? It's because they were the best in the world at riding a 100 year American super cycle in which the United States rose to world dominance and the dollar rose right along with it. Mr. Munger isn't a computer scientist, so I doubt he's had time to read the source code of Bitcoin to see how it cracked the Byzantine general's problem. A previously unsolved problem in computer science whose brilliant resolution enabled the entire field of blockchain research. But he has certainly read that cryptocurrencies can be used for nefarious purposes and that they operate outside state control. As he colorfully put it, I don't welcome a currency that's so useful to kidnappers and extortionists and so forth nor do I like just shuffling out billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. Never mind the fact that quite a few criminals have been known to use greenbacks. It's a fact that Bitcoin is independent of a state that makes Mr. Munger think it's an enemy of civilization. That's because he implicitly identifies civilization with the US government and the rules-based international order it erected in the aftermath of World War II. The order worked very well for a time. It produced peace and prosperity in the Western world. It outlasted the USSR and it gave rise to the digital revolution that is the driving force of our era, not bad. But the post-war order is now slowing its age. It is no longer obvious that America is a model for the world and it should rule the world, that it wants to rule the world or that it even can rule the world, even if it has never really acknowledged that it is ruling the world <laughs> or once was. I do appreciate that the US once was just as I appreciate what the UK once was or what Kodak Sears and Lockheed Martin once were. Every great run though eventually comes to an end and 
and the world we were born into is not the one we are entering. We can spend a long afternoon tickling through the issues, foreign and domestic, that have scrubbed the sheen of the US model. Take a look at any op-ed page. I'm sure you'll find that sort of analysis there. I am much more interested in explaining to you what can take the place of declining Pax Americana, which I believe will look very much like Pax Botanica. I'm sure that sounds crazy to some of you. The rantings of a delusional tech bro who persists in the belief that new technologies invented by individual engineers can just go viral on computer networks and end up changing the world. Don't we know that never happens? In the event that you believe that maybe it does happen on a technology that did go viral in precisely that way, because this isn't just about being right, it's about being protecting the values that the West at its best stands for. If you care about free speech and privacy, if you care about free trade and rule of law, if you care about provable fairness and economic stability, then you should care about cryptocurrency. Indeed, I believe that it is a digital life raft for Western civilization. Here are 10 reasons why. Crypto protects human rights around the world. Bitcoin might seem like a curiosity in a democracy with a stable currency. But in currencies with deeply unstable economies and authoritarian politics, it is a lifeline. As Alex Gladstein recently explained in Reason magazine, Bitcoin has been used by dissidents and activists in places like Cuba, Nigeria and Belarus. In Russia, country's most prominent opposition politician and Putin critic Alexei Navalny has raised millions in Bitcoin. As Gladstein wrote, Putin can do a lot of things, but he can't freeze a Bitcoin account. If you want to understand what crypto is really about, ask Venezuelans if they would rather own Bolivar or Bitcoin. Crypto provides currency stability. There was a day not so long ago that 787 billion US dollars was a jaw-dropping number. Do any of us know how many trillions of dollars the US government has printed since the 2008 bailouts? Do we even want to imagine the potential inflationary effects? Recall that at the start of the Weimar hyperinflation, everyone thought they were getting rich with asset prices going through the roof. By the end, everyone unfortunate enough to trust the monetary policy of Weimar Germany was wiped out and the mark was re-standardized on gold. Bitcoin, which is called digital gold, offers an algorithmic, written, transparent, cryptographical enforced monetary policy that can be predicted far into the future. So it should come as no surprise that investors like Paul Tudor Jones and Stanley Druckenmiller are investing in Bitcoin as a guard against inflation. Crypto's decentralization guarantees fairness. After the 2008 financial crisis, the issuance of new banking charters was cut off and the imposition of Dodd-Frank created formidable regulatory barriers around financial innovation. In many ways, this was a coronation disguised as regulation as it punished the banks by locking in their moat, boxing out their competitors and enshrining them as the only players with root access to financial system. Fortunately, technologists spent the decade building crypto protocols and digital assets that replaced the need for bank access entirely. They built them not just on Bitcoin, but on newer blockchains like Ethereum. These protocols and assets are now being used together in an internet native ecosystem known as decentralized finance or DeFi for short. What is fundamentally fair in a way that Wall Street 
Street isn't. An Indian can use DeFi protocols without a Bloomberg terminal. A Nigerian can create DeFi contracts without paying for American lawyers. And a Filipino can computationally verify that DeFi code is fair without trusting American politicians and bankers. Crypto protects free speech. The free speech of the First Amendment is under attack from giant technology companies and media corporations. With institutional diktat treated as truth and speech restrictions imposed in the name of content modernization. Decentralized social networks allow users to make an end run around these companies. What's a decentralized social network, you ask? The same technology that makes it possible to send digital currency to each other without a central hub like the Federal Reserve makes it possible to send digital message to each other without a central hub like Facebook. Some partially decentralized social networks already exist like Mirror, Mastodon, Twitch, PeerTube, D.Tube, Maniverse, Commonwealth and BitCloud. More are being built. If that seems like gibberish, remember that Bitcoin is now worth more than Facebook and that crypto suggests a strategy to bootstrap a decentralized competitor to Facebook. What if the near trillion dollar valuation of Facebook was split amongst its users, with more going towards the early adopters and without a central point of corporate control? As far-fetched as this may sound, it's exactly the dynamic these new networks are pursuing. Crypto protects private property. Several years ago, the total amount seized by police surpassed the amount stolen from citizens by burglars. Most people don't realize that officers can take cash and property from people without convincing or even charging them with a crime. Yes, really. Though the highly controversial practice known as civil asset forfeiture. The practice is part of a general abrogation of the Fourth Amendment that we can track back to at least the Patriot Act. Dealing with this legislatively may be futile. The trend has been moving in only one direction. But crypto again provides a solution. It is much harder for an oppressive government to arbitrarily seize or even locate someone's digital property. This resets the relationship between state and citizen to make it impossible to search your digital papers and effects without your consent. No doubt we can imagine abuses, but when legislative approaches fail, only something unyieldingly principled can bring back the spirit of the Fourth Amendment. Crypto protects online privacy. We learned several years ago that the NSA was spying on Americans lying to its oversight committee. Eight years later, Edward Snowden still hasn't been pardoned, and the surveillance state is more tightly merged with social networks and search engines than ever before. Similar developments are taking place overseas, especially in China. The only force that stands against this is encryption. Encryption isn't synonymously with crypto any more than software is synonymous with the internet. But just like the internet was a highly monetizable platform for software, crypto is turning out to be a highly monetizable application of encryption. And the billions of dollars in cryptocurrencies are stimulating a boom in applied cryptography. Crypto is the next Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley as we know it is over. San Francisco has gone from the capital of the tech boom to post-apocalyptic wasteland with failing businesses, violent assaults and technologists leaving as fast as the cloud will carry them. But spiritually, it's declined as well. With box checking ideologues staffing many of the large tech companies and replacing the innovative spirit that built technology in the first place. But all is not lost. Quite the opposite. As valuable as Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google and Amazon are, if you plot their stock prices, they look like slow growth vehicles relative to the multi-trillion dollar crypto economy. The next center of innovation isn't a Silicon Valley. It's on-chain. We should cheer the transition from Google's 
don't be evil to cryptos can't be evil cryptos smart contracts replace fallible courts and lawyers lawyers and judges are fallible and can be fickle smart contracts built on blockchain technology are not the combination of a predictable monetary policy and rule of code allows us to make binding long term public commitments to pay someone x amount under y conditions at z date the more trustworthy the commitment is the lower the cost of contract enforcement the more reliable the deal for example if 100 people commit to crowdfund a new housing complex and their funds are locked up on chain you can be sure they are good for the money and proceed appropriately Crypto's economic alignment addresses social polarization. Legacy media and social media have polarized us, but cryptocurrency offers the possibility of bringing us together on the basis of tangible, quantifiable economic alignment. It is now possible for an Israeli and a Palestinian, a Chinese citizen and a Japanese citizen, or a Democrat and a Republic to all agree on the state of the Bitcoin blockchain, regardless of your political views or your geography. Everyone in the same crypto network prospers. or fails together crypto's international protocol are the new code based order as china and america slug it out in the trade war a chinese citizen and an american citizen might not trust each other's legal systems but they do trust the bitcoin and ethereum blockchains because the code executes exactly the same way on a chinese or an american computer or a japanese or a german one for that matter cross border trade is alive and well on chain indeed it's not too far fetched to believe that by 20 30 or 2040 most cross border trade may be mediated in whole or in part by smart contracts the crypto community today is truly international reaching 100 million members across every country in the world in just its first decade it's not particularist or chauvinist or nationalist neither is it socialist or communist or statist it's internationalist and capitalist offering global equality of opportunity to everyone with an internet connected device which will soon be everyone what pax americana purported to guarantee with guns pax botanica guarantees with code balaji's idea summarized is that a group of people can eventually obtain collective bargaining power over a nation state and eventually gain statehood by organizing in the cloud building a community pooling assets and buying land the network state as explained on balaji's website we recruit online for a group of people interested in founding a new virtual social network a new city and eventually a new country we built the embryonic state as an open source project we organize our internet economy around remote work we cultivate in person levels of civility we stimulate architecture in vr we create art and literature that reflects our values we eventually crowdfund territory in the real world but not necessarily contagious territory more like a thousand apartments houses over time community members migrate between these enclaves and crowdfund territory nearby with every individual dwelling and group house presenting an independent opportunity for expansion you can sort of think of network state as a social network with a cryptocurrency that crowdfunds territory and operates as a sovereign collective case for network state balaji makes a whole variety of points detailing the benefits and practicality around these solutions 
solutions on his website 1729.com why people want this balaji argues we need and want a clean state to build something new without historical constraints he says that it's the same reason why we use a new sheet of paper for a fresh idea we are not constrained to the scribbles of the past to validate his point many political thinkers activists and everyday people want a fresh government so that desire is real starting a new has just never really seemed like an option in many ways one could compare a nation state versus network states situation to the horse versus car people wanted to go faster and farther but they didn't know the car was an option until someone thought of it balaji argues people from communities in 2021 based on ideology rather than the old way geography this is causing increased frustration as governments struggle to serve their people this claim is also valid anyone who spends a lot of time talking online instead of hanging out with their neighbor is a living example of this why it can work balaji says there are two definitions of a country numerical and societal numerical basically means the number of people or capital societal basically means the influence that those numbers command for a numerical example balaji cites many countries with small market caps and small population 5 million people in common he says look at how easy it would be for a cloud community to get bigger than that he is not wrong r/wsb has more people than about 140 countries with that many people declaring themselves a state exerting financial influence and working collectively they will eventually be recognized i think he is right on this balaji compares the network state to cryptocurrency by citing how effortlessly cryptocurrency has exerted influence on the financial system which is arguably the stronger system compared to the nation state feasibility of the network state it took me about 20 minutes to realize the network state is obviously going to happen i am not exactly sure how or in what capacity but it's happening an expression in silicon valley is that it's easy to predict the future it's just hard to know when it will happen if you keep up with the history and technology you will find yourself quickly predicting the future i have succeeded at it many times i'm not saying the network state is good but i'm saying it's obviously happening the reason the network state tns is going to happen can be explored by referring back to the three points technology the network state follows with and is supported by power of technology's future which is generally unstoppable TNS checks this box government like with cryptocurrency people will do this pooled resource command influence and you can't shut down the internet the result is that the network state will be built and then it will eat parts of the nation state end of story there will be no negotiation there will be no lobbying the network state checks this box economics the incentives are aligned here because individuals all gain through this system more rights and financial freedom are enabled self interest and money are Line. the network state checks this box the central question in social contract theory a fundamental philosophy behind government is how much freedom should individuals give up to gain the security of the collective history is riddled with ideas surrounding this some like hobbes said we need to give up everything for protecting from a monarch others like locke believe in a more free and small government nearly all the ideas required a group of people to be in charge of making the rules this is where a lot of problems begin who do 
we choose? How do we choose them? What happens if we choose them and they suck? Balaji's network state still has many details of this sort to be determined. I also recognize that the nation state is a method of forming a state rather than a fixed set of values and principles to guide all states. Despite this, I believe given the radically different nature of how a network state is formed and governed and the principles that will be universally true for all of them, a structural analysis is still valid. For simplicity's sake, I believe we can chiefly assume most network states will probably be some from a democratic, decentralized governance. In other words, people write their own rules collectively. The rules are enforced by computer programs and if you don't like the rules, you can pick on new community or hell, you can fork it and make a new one. A key feature here, however, is that if you don't like your state, you can easily leave. The flexibility of choice in a state is weird to us now, but I find it fairly potent form of state accountability. We have already seen these sorts of people versus those in power with a Justin Sun versus Steam debacle. Concluding feasibility, network states could be a niche trend of the anti-establishment or it could be the next logical form of governance that seems radical today. Right now, it's hard to know, but without a doubt, it's happening in some capacity. I think the niche scenario is probably a 10-year-old scale and anything more significant is a 30-year-old scale. And according to Balaji, the future is looking bright. We are all the way up. We are regaining. We are coming back to our rightful place in the world. That's kind of the mentality there. And that is the basis for a completely different kind of culture export. And so I think that you can start the export of films, movies, culture that's based on technology, global technology. So all of the stuff that I talked about and how would you do it? You were like, how do you make it not boring? Because movies all require conflict. There's going to be some polyan thing. And so there's actually an interesting flip that you can do with a dystopian movie. The key trick is it's like at the beginning of Terminator, the presence is all idyllic. Everyone's gambling through the fields and so on. And then this crazy scientist invents some horrible new Terminator and it messes it all up. And now the future is worse. And so the premise is that the president was fine and the tech bro made the future worse. But it's easy to actually invert that. And the inversion is a present that is dystopian. It's a present where we are all very masks. It's the present where the power is going out. It's a present where random fires rage and cold snaps hit in the middle of nowhere and politics is dysfunctional. Oh, this is a really fictional story of telling, right? It's the present that's dystopian and there is a small group that might be able to carve out a better future. And so you just invert a lot of tropes. You're still fighting the power, but you're actually fighting the power that is technologically conservative and you have a group of technological procrastinators. Now what I just described actually has a lot of move to it because that's actually a reality. That is every single startup founder has to go through what I just described. Now once in a while you see a Hollywood depiction of this. House of Cards on Netflix in its first season actually depicted an evil NGO like a water thing. It was like some water charity that was just a scam for it was the future president's wife running this thing. It depicted an evil journalist. The original Ghostbusters depicted an evil regulator. So did Dallas Buyers Club depicting evil regulators. So there are snatches where evil journalists, evil regulators, evil NGOs are depicted. But it's like a 1 to 10,000. It's the evil corporation with evil military that's depicted. But those are the mental models that people slot things into. If you have media that allows people to pattern recognize that and it doesn't have to be in feature films, it can be short video games, it can be clips and so on. That's actually upstream of driving technological progress. Balaji Srinivasan has a website 
called 1729.com. It's free and you'll get chapters of his book. You also will be able to get some crypto tasks. And if you like this, there's a lot more of it. And it's all better organized in writing. All of these ideas are laid out at greater length in the book and on the task on WhatsApp. It's all free. It's kind of a newsletter where you can just give your email address and uh, you will be given tasks accordingly. The best part is you will be rewarded with uh, cryptocurrencies if you have completed the tasks. That is something so innovative in itself. I really felt that this is the kind of change that we need. That this is the kind of thought process that everybody should have if you need a future that matters. I hope you liked my podcast. I simply loved researching about it and collecting information. If you do, please let me know with your valuable comments. Uh, please subscribe to my podcast and if you really like it, please do share it to your loved ones. I'm sure it's going to help somebody. So with that, I come to an end. This is Subin signing out. Thank you.